Welcome to Human Dreaming, the podcast for curious dreamers. I'm your host, Britt Shefflin. Dee Dee Hopkins is an LA-raised, Portland-based chef who has found her life's work with Equitable Giving Circle. While she is classically trained and has worked in the private sector for the past 10 years, her recent move to Portland in 2019 has immersed her in the fight for food equity. Growing up in south-central Los Angeles in the late 80s and early 90s, she knows firsthand the impact that living in a food desert can impose on both your physical and mental well-being. Her hope is that the work she does with Equitable Giving Circle can continue to alleviate these inequities by providing fresh and nutritious options that might otherwise be unattainable. You can learn more about Equitable Giving Circle at www.equitablegivingcircle.org. Didi Hopkins, welcome to Human Dreaming. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It is a delight. Um, I've been wanting to interview you for a while. I'm really excited to talk about your work in Portland, um, but I wanted to get to a, uh, a few other things first, and including you have a very interesting background um, being raised by your grandmother as your mother. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing and trauma and dreams that you may have had in that time. Yeah, so uh, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Um, my real mother passed away when I was two and a half. Uh, she was a, a drug addict, um, as oftentimes people were within that community, drugs being funneled into the black communities at that time. Um, sadly, she was a victim of that. Uh, my grandmother again raised me by herself at 53 years old. She uh, not only had to endure the loss of her youngest child, um, her husband died nine months after that, and so she was raising me on her own. So I grew up an only child in South Central LA in the 80s with a, a very strict yet liberal grandmother, um, strict in the way that I grew up in the church, very Christian household, uh, very sort of traditional Southern upbringing, but with a mother who dressed me beautifully made sure that I got into the best schools, I had the best food, I pretty much read whatever I wanted to read, li liberal in her own way. So it kind of, um, it actually speaks to exactly the type of person that I've kind of grown up to be, which is, I'm pretty out there, you know, I'm, a, I'm one of those people that was like a 12 year burner, went to Burning Man and all the festivals and things like that. But I also live my life by the 10 commandments. Because while I am not really a firm believer in Christianity, because I believe that it's rooted in white supremacy and white patriarchal norms, the Ten Commandments itself, it's a pretty good way to like live your life. You know, yeah. you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, hit your parents. You shouldn't cover thy neighbor's wife. You shouldn't steal. So I think that's made a, a pretty big impact on kind of the person that I am. Again, read a lot as a child. So daydreaming, as it were, was definitely sort of a big thing that I did. I talked to myself a lot still. I've always been kind of imaginative that way. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's definitely, definitely pretty interesting for sure. And I see that the, the style still stuck as well. Like 
you have the most <laughs> amazing outfits. I know the people who are, are listening might not be able to see, but you should absolutely check out her social media and, um, and see her amazing, incredible sense of style. Everything from what you wear to the way you decorate your house is all incredible. So well, <laughs> I see that stuck very well. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one, one form of me uh, expressing my artistic side. So thank you for noticing. Were there any things that kind of stuck out for you in either Christianity or growing up from, you know, like Southern culture that stuck out in your family from the way that dreams are perceived, either daydreams or sleeping dreams? Interesting. You know, in hindsight, I have always, I was always encouraged to, dr to dream, but also be practical. So I don't know that if dream interpretation or thinking about your dreams was really something that was necessarily pushed hmm. or um, accepted so much within my childhood, literal dreaming and like doing as, as much as you could do within your life and following your dreams, definitely. Literal, literal dreams, yes. Um, sleeping dreams, I would not say that that was something that became a focus or something that I really concentrated on until much later in life when I, when I started having um, maybe different sets of friends. Mm -hmm. I, I moved to Venice. I moved to a place that was a little more liberal in its outtake and outlooks on a variety of things. Um, you know, chakras, namaste, all the things. And those, those sorts of cultures where, um, where interpreting your dreams were a thing. I kind of feel like Gertrude, I, I call my mother by her first name just because it's like, so she's like a character in my life. I just call her Gertrude. I do believe that Gertrude, we talked a little bit about dreams um, growing up. But one thing that I was speaking to you about earlier is that, um, you know, Gert, she did pass away about 12 years ago. And I did not really mourn her death. She had been ill for six months. So for me, her dying was really an amazing transition that we could all just, she can move on to that next, that next phase within the ethos, and I was able to move on to that next phase, you know, here on earth. But this was great. She actually, and I had never had this happen before, unless it had happened to me. You know, you, you believe people in their dreams, and it's a whole thing, but she actually came to me in a dream, like straight up. Like we had like a conversation, it was a whole thing. Uh, and I was like, this is fucking wild, excuse my language. But like, it was, it was great. It was really so amazing, incredible. She was a dick like she always was. <laughs> yeah, Gertrude was no joke. Uh, that 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 4'11 Southern Jim Crow upbringing, she, she carried that personality with her to the end. And it's great because she made me who I am. But yeah, she canceled me in this dream and just let me know that she was proud of me and that I'm just telling me how I needed to move forward. And just did like what she always did in life, but it was in this dream state. And I woke up and I was just, it was, it, it, honestly, it was wild. I just couldn't believe it. I'm super grateful that that's happened. And I feel like she's coming like one other time, but I know that she's out there and I believe that this is a thing. And I'm, that's why I'm super excited to just talk to someone such as yourself who has uh, such insight in on this topic. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that is, that's really fascinating. And that, um, I call those spiritual or ancestor dreams. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times, like my 
methodology, my methodology is very like kind of regimented and a little bit more on the psychological and scientific end of things. But when it comes to um, spiritual and ancestor dreams, like I just, I don't have answers for that. And these are real experiences that people have. They're very esoteric, ethereal, and, you know, they either match up with your, your spiritual beliefs or they're unexplainable in a lot of ways. And so I, I don't have any explanation for what they are, but they're always just so cathartic for people and it's exactly what they need. And so I don't know how that happens, but it is so amazing mm -hmm. to be able to get that, yeah, that catharsis and that closure, that connection. So I'm glad you were able to have that and, um, and that, you know, she was such a force of nature in your life. That's pretty incredible. It's not always easy with family, but it was definitely a blessing. Um, I'm hoping that it happens again. Yeah. We, we go through things oftentimes in life. I like, I miss my mother so much. Like she definitely, she got on my nerves. Like she was just the, always doing the most, mm -hmm. <laughs> but she loved me more than anybody will probably ever love me. Mm. That whole mother's love thing. Apparently it's a real thing. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. so hopefully she'll continue to come and see me throughout the course of my time here on earth. And I look forward to her doing that. I hope so too. Did you ever have any, besides that, which is pretty amazing, but have you ever had any um, dreams, whether sleeping or daydreams that kind of changed your life, like epiphanies or dreams that were creative to the point where you got like an idea for something big or anything along those lines like something kind of life-changing well, i do that all the time i mean there's there's so many that i couldn't even be able to pick out one mm -hmm. but and well here's the thing too is like people don't believe this but i'm actually fairly shy in nature mm. like i'm definitely like kind of like big gregarious like you know bigger than like personality or whatever but honestly i'm pretty pretty quiet pretty shy i like to you know think things through and so because of that i talk to myself a lot within talking to myself and having those dreams i dream up all the different foods that i come up with and all of my different my different um recipe concepts and different outfits it's it's literally how i live my life being being a dreamer uh a daydreamer a life dreamer has really made me be the person who i am it was a dream for me to come to portland i've only been here about a year and a half uh, you know, I packed up all my stuff and I followed my dream. I did that by selling all my stuff. I got a one-way ticket to a place I had never been before. I made it happen. So I'm a big proponent of following your dreams, whether those dreams be literal dreams or things come to you in your sleeping time that you're like, oh my God. And you think about that thing while you're sleeping, you follow that dream or you were awake and you see the things around you that make you kind of think about dreams and things that you want to do in life i'm a big proponent of following those dreams either way that they come it is very apparent that you do follow your dreams just how quickly things started happening for you once you once you got to portland and all of the the food that comes up and even the the burgers that i saw you posted the other day yeah i just dream up stuff and i and oftentimes what i'll do is i'll see if anybody else has had that dream and by that I mean, I'll log in, like today I'm doing one with a chocolate donut. Oh, cool. So instead of the donut's going to serve as the bun. Yes. So I'll look up and see, does anybody else have this idea or this dream? And kind of see how, what, which route they took and how I can like coincide my dreams with their dreams. We can make like one fantastic culinary dream. I think it's also important to 
look at the dreams of others and use that as inspiration as well. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I was a chef in LA for 10 years. I, um, I worked at a software company, like a startup. I was their private chef for 10 years. And there's a lot of people from around the world there. So we did a lot of international cuisine. So I was very lucky to get to learn people's grandmother's recipes and recreate them for them. And everything from, you know, people missing their, their families and being able to bring that to them to also like having literal dreams about recipes. And it still happens to me every once in a while, not as often anymore now that I'm not cooking for other people all the time, but every once in a while I will dream up a recipe or food. I think the most recent one was, um, was chicken skins. I like dreamt of crisping chicken skins and rolling them up with like little stuffing for an appetizer. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, and then I I woke up and I was like, oh, that's weird. I don't think I would do that. And then like a few days later, it just kept pestering me. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I have to try this. And it turned out to be great. But, you know. That's, first of all, that sounds amazing. I um, (laughs) like, I do that with uh, salmon skin. Oh, yum. I love doing that. That's actually, that's a genius idea. Skins, uh, as we delve off topic a little bit, skins um, as a, um, as a roll on, as like a, as a seaweed. Um, as a, as like a, like a wonton paper. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic idea, actually. Oh my gosh, you're making me hungry. I'm going to have to get some salmon skin now. <laughs> That's a great idea. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow your dream there. Like <laughs> Do you have any recurring dreams or dream themes that come to you, like in your sleep dreams? Not so much. Um, so, you know, one thing that's been happening to me recently, and I'm trying to move, is I've been, over the past few years, um, I've been getting a bit of sleep paralysis. Okay. That is quite unfortunate. <laughs> yes, I not enjoy it. And it's like, I'm, it's, I'm sure, but for me, it's like, I'm awake, but I'm sitting and I can't move my body and I can't like, I'm screaming, trying to wake myself up and I cannot get myself out of this like comatose state. So that's happening to me um, a lot of the past few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it happened to me a couple of times in, in LA, uh, but it has happened more than once here. Sure. But to be, to be fair and to be clear again, I've only been here for a little less than two years. The entire time that I've been in Portland has been a very harrowing time yes, to be has. in Portland. Yes. <laughs> Between, between, you know, I, when I first got here, I ran a restaurant for six months. I had never done that before. Mm. Um, being, uh, being a female chef, being a black female chef, and oftentimes being perceived for younger than what I am, definitely made it a little bit difficult. Uh, and then, you know, we had the protests. We had all these things going on. There were like, you know, feds up the street for me and Proud Boys on this side of the street for me. So I think a lot of that could really have been based um, when then just like the, the psychological damage that was happening to me mm-hmm. as a result of my surroundings and my environment, so. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm, I, that was pretty, uh, pretty gnarly. Yeah. Kind of had kind of happened recently and I'm hoping to be able to steer it far clear from that in the future as I can. Yeah. But, uh, that's, that's probably the more recent things that I can remember in regards to that. Yeah, yeah. the sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is not fun. And it makes sense that it would coincide with all of the chaos of the last couple of years. 
absolutely yeah. super super scary times but yeah. like i said i'm really happy that i haven't uh, had that go on recently and hoping it's not going to come back anytime soon well if by chance it does just mm -hmm. so you know it is a nightmare form of lucid dreaming so if you do lucid dreaming training that can often help you gain control over it if that does occur again just let me know and i'd be happy to send you some tips I would, I would love that. We should just maybe plan on you doing that anyway. Yeah, let's do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, because you have a very heightened awareness and you, you seem to be able to kind of float in that in-between world pretty fluidly anyway. So I think you would probably be very good at it very quickly. Awesome. Um, so that, that does lead me into the work that you do in Portland. But before we dive into that, I do want to segue for one moment back to you had mentioned um, nightmares of a medical nature or of a medicine nature? Yes, yes. So about, about seven years ago, I um, underwent a procedure called a myomectomy. Mm -hmm. uh, myomectomy is um, something that happens when, or what is done when you have fibroid tumors on your uterus. Mm -hmm. So I had upwards to like 35 tumors on my uterus. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a lot and, you know, really, um, really led to a variety of monthly occurrences that were not my favorites, um, medically and emotionally, psychologically, all the things, but I go into the hospital, they put me under, um, they take my uterus out, then it like that. They don't like disconnect it, they just take it out of my body, put it on the table, get all the things out of it, put it back in. Wake up, my doctor comes in and she goes like this. She was like, ooh, Dee Dee. I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, girl, we hooked you up. We got you all cleared out and da, 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 da. And I was just like, okay, well, this is great. More Dilaudid, please, whatever it is I'm on right now. Because whatever it is, I feel great. And I'd like to just continue feeling good because this is like, it's like a C-section basically. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm extremely small. Um, so people who don't know me, I'm 5'9". I've got like a 24-inch waist. And it was, it was, it was a, it was a lot for this small body yeah so I'm in, the, I'm in the hospital for three days the first day they put me on this stuff called Dilaudid and as far as those types of drugs going what they're supposed to do it was it was fantastic no pain really airy really light it was it was you know good experience for that type of thing mm -hmm. they take me off of that and they put me on Percocet the next day the Percocet gave me legitimate nightmares like really vivid demon hellscape nightmares. It was crazy. I never had a nightmare in my entire life. Like, I never had a single nightmare. You know, I had like a couple of bad dreams. Like somebody's like, I'm getting chased by a dog. Yeah. Or, or, you know, my pants fall down at like an assembly. Like, you know, like those types of dreams. So I have like a literal demon infested Hellscape nightmare is what happened to me as a result of this drug. They didn't take me off it for like another day. I think they might have lowered my dose and the same thing happened. And I was like, look, you gotta, I, no, I, I cannot do, I cannot and I will not do this. First of all, I'm not like a drug user anyway, like nothing, no prescription type anything ever. So not only am I sensitive to that type of thing, it was just a high dosage and it gave me, I couldn't believe it. It gave me literal nightmares. And that was pretty much the end of that. 
have never, I've, I've, I'm just not a, no, I'm not that, I'm not that type of person. They took me off of that and put me on um, something else called oxycodone. Right. And oxycodone made it where I couldn't breathe. Oh God. I have, I have asthma and like a little bit of respiratory issues I have my entire life. So as much as I'm a fan of Western medicine, because I am huge fan of Western medicine, penicillin, all things, uh, these types of things do not work in my favor at all. Um, they made life very hard to lead. And I don't know which was worse, the nightmares from the hellscape or not being able to breathe. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was wild. So after those two instances, I, strangely, not even strangely enough, I, um, I did medical marijuana and I did Advil and I was good to go. Good. Yeah, right? <laughs> Something a little more gentle and that works for your body. That's great. Advil and weed. No more nightmares. No more, no. imagine that. Yeah. No more nightmares, no more breathing difficulty. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You don't often hear people talk about drugs being able, you know, causing nightmares, except for, um, I'm spacing the name right now, but the one that people take for malaria. I don't get it. We'll get crazy dreams on that. But other than that, it's not something very common that you hear about. Opioids definitely affect sleep and dreams. It was, that was, that was something I would never wish upon anyone. And I was by myself. Oh God. I was by myself in this and I had never been in a hospital before. Mm. Um, I'm like, actually I was in a hospital once for like eight hours or something. But that, this was a hospital stay. Sure. So, you know, it was a beautiful private room, all the things, but I was by myself. Yeah. Up from these nightmares in this crazy sterile hospital environment. Mm. Just also not a good experience. Just yeah. super weird and scary. Yeah, that's a nightmare in itself. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's, you know, two nightmares for the price of one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for bringing that up because, that, you know, again, that's the way that dreams are affected by substances is not something that comes up very often, but it's, you know, very important. Um, and it's good that you chose cannabis, too, because cannabis will... Um, usually suppress recall of dreams so you will still be dreaming but people have a harder time recalling it on cannabis which after having had nightmares is probably a good thing absolutely makes, yeah. makes perfect sense yeah i'm glad that you were able to realize that those were medically induced nightmares and not something going wrong with your psychology <laughs> yeah I, I, fig I figured out pretty quickly it had never happened before yeah. never before I've never had this medicine before. It's happening now. Yeah. Huh, I think that might be the cause. It might be. <laughs> <laughs> Back to your work in Portland and the, you know, the sleep paralysis leading into all the things that, that have happened in Portland. Um, tell me about how it's going there, what the work that you're doing. And for people who didn't catch on earlier, Didi is an incredible, an incredible chef. She puts out amazing work, but she also gives back to the community like nobody I've ever seen before. So um, we'll let her talk a little bit about what she's doing there. And then also the experiences of what it's like to be a black woman in Portland, because as we all know, Oregon is like the deep South of the West Coast, the way that uh, it has a history of white supremacy and all kinds of crazy stuff that I was completely clueless about growing up here and didn't learn about it until I was older. 
I mean, which is indicative of American history and culture, period. There's so right. much stuff that, um, that none of us know about uh, because we have been very successful at keeping it hidden. Right. And it's the perpetrators of that history that want to continue to keep it hidden. So that's very interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I had a restaurant here. Sadly, we um, shut down as a result of COVID. Uh, and then after that, I started doing um, a lot of volunteer work. Mm -hmm. um, that volunteer work led me to becoming affiliated with an organization called Equitable Giving Circle. Equitable Giving Circle is a Black femme-led nonprofit here in Portland that really works to alleviate systemic housing issues, systemic food culture issues through a variety of programs. They brought me on a little less than a year ago as their CSA director, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture, which is basically farmers that um, do fantastic farm fresh produce and you buy their boxes, like a subscription box uh, once a week, as opposed to going to a farmer's market or going to the grocery store. So what my job is, is we have over 300 families a week that we provide these CSA boxes for free of charge through contactless delivery, as well as a pantry program that I've instituted uh, in the past, like, I don't know, maybe like four months we've been doing it. Mm. So Tuesday through Friday, uh, sometimes on Saturdays, we get our driver's team together um, and we drop these beautiful produce boxes off on people's home, at people's homes on their porches, inside their buildings. We knock and they leave, or, and our drivers leave. So these families are receiving this beautiful produce free of charge every week. It is making not only a financial impact, but a health impact as well. Oftentimes, people of color, uh, people of lower economic um, levels are living in food deserts. Places that will have a, a thousand liquor stores on the street, 18 jack-in-the-boxes, but not one single grocery store with good organic food in it. So we're really trying to make that push through this program. And not only are we doing this for the families, by utilizing BIPOC farmers, we are making a circular sort of effort economically by continuing to recycle those dollars within the community while providing these amazing resources for our families. It's great. It's so rewarding. My restaurant was fun, but if one more person sent back some chicken for it looking too real or something ridiculous, I was going to lose my mind anyway. Oh my goodness. I'm super excited to work with people and be, um, be able to help people who really appreciate the foods that we are giving them because it's making a true impact in their lives. And we do so with just an application process. And unlike a variety of other programs, we do not ask for any sort of ID, any sort of financial papers, nothing. Mm -hmm. If you say you need it, you need it. If you wanna put your name as Daffy Duck on the application, but we have an address to drop it off to you, then Daffy Duck is gonna get that food where it comes. We, we again give no questions asked and it's such a blessing to be able to do so. Uh, I, I should know all of the numbers, but you can get those numbers on www.equitablegivingcircle.org to really see uh, the impact that we've made in the community through exact numbers and research. So yeah, it's, it's a beautiful program. I'm really excited to be a part of it. It is. That's amazing. And hopefully anybody who's listening, if you have a few extra dollars to throw their way, 
please do so because they do incredible work and you know we're just scratching the surface today but but like Didi mentioned there is there are resources on their website to be able to see what the numbers are and where they're going and and how you can help with that and um, I will definitely be making a donation today myself. Awesome. Thank you. We uh we we encourage people um, to also let their friends know. You know, do personal ads. If, if if people are able to do so, we really like getting these monthly sort of donations where if you can do $25 a month or $5 a month or if you are financially able, $100 a month. We are appreciative of everything. And this money, again, is really making a difference in these people's lives. And I think that we have to take the word reparations and look at it in a fundamentally different way. You're helping to make substantial reparations for which we are both grateful and deserving. And uh, yeah, we, we look forward to you all learning a little bit more about our organization. Talk about an amazing dream coming true. Somebody or a few somebodies came up with this idea and then you guys all have this collective dream of changing your community and making Portland a better place, especially for people of color. And you're just not just dreaming about it, you're actually doing it bringing it back around to the whole dreams come true thing. I just, I always find that so impressive when people are that coordinated with their thought process and their, their dreaming and, and making it happen. Yeah, it is, it is, it is certainly a dream realized. Uh, and the majority of the outstanding women that sit on my board and my leadership team are, are Portland natives. Uh, we all, I used to work with them over, we worked together. Uh, at another um, sort of organization uh, about a year ago. And once I left that organization, they brought me on despite my very Angelino ways. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a very, very, very proud Angelino, but I'm also the proudest of Portland transplants. Yeah. I, I, I love being here. I love what the city has to offer. I love being able to come in and add some more to uh, the diversity of culture that goes on here, both within just my my being of myself, plus the work that I get to do through my organization. So yeah, yeah. I love Portland. Yeah. It's got some issues for sure. Oh yeah. Oh, tons. But I love it, and I'm happy to to continue to help to make those those changes to make it a bigger, better, faster, more diverse Portland. Yes, I love it. So I'm down in Eugene, so I can't speak for Portland, but as a white Oregonian who, you know, it was very white bread when, when I grew up. I mean, we had, we had black friends and black family friends and, you know, people that I grew up with like my whole life. So it wasn't like I didn't know anybody, but it makes me so happy now um, because Oregon is like very anti-California, but I love it that so many Californians are moving here because it's, it's diversifying. It's making it better. Like everything, like there's so, the food is better. The, the cultural events that you can experience are better. It used to be when you were driving in Eugene, it would be rare to see a black person or a person of any other color other than white walking down the street and it would be something that your brain would notice. And now it's just changing enough to where I see people of color everywhere now. And it makes, it makes me so happy. And they're not necessarily all coming from California, but just mm -hmm. that whole changing diversity of the state is really great. 
as somebody who grew up here to see that and know that my daughter gets to experience something different than I did. And that her being of mixed Asian ancestry is able to have a different experience as well. For sure. So you're okay. So your daughter, your, your daughter's father is, uh, is of Asian descent. Yeah. Filipino. Filipino. So you, your child is a person of color. Yeah. So I think, I think that's something that you need. I don't, not that you haven't thought about. I don't want to insinuate that you have not, but what I should also hope that, you know, is that people who, who are, who are white, but have children that are of mixed ethnicity realize that they do have children of color. Yeah. That these, these are black and brown children and that they are leading a different experience, even, but their experience is varied because not only are they people of color, they probably are still kind of white passing too. Yeah. So there's all of these different dichotomies that can really go within this conversation. We don't have to get into it now, but, uh, <laughs> but yes, I, I'm super excited that she is living in a, uh, in a diverse sort of way. So that's, that's great. Yay. Go Eugene. Yeah, it's changing. I mean, you know, we have such a long way to go, but um, one of the things I wanted to mention to you was I was lucky enough to be able to buy a house several years ago when the market was much more reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, and when I bought the house, the paperwork for the neighborhood in South Eugene, it's called Willis Heights, uh -huh. um, had a clause in it that it was like a white only neighborhood and that if you happen to have domestic help that was people of color they had to be gone by five o'clock there was all these rules and i was like nauseous reading this right because it was like literally the year and it was the year that i was born 1978 that it was written so it wasn't that long ago and it was literally like my family would not have been able to exist in this neighborhood do you know what that five o'clock rule is called? Uh, it's sundown, right? It's, it's yes. sundown town. They're called sundown town. So that's the town that you had to be out of yeah. by the time the sun went down. Of course, these people are dumb because they take into effect the fact that like the sun doesn't go down and pull until like 10. So yeah. does the sundown town thing kind of, is it, is it like based upon the season? Like, is it seasonal sundown towns? Yeah. <laughs> but, well, nothing about it makes sense. Uh -huh. <laughs> think about that part, Jackass. Yeah, right? No, you have a very good point. Yeah, it's the same here. Like in the summer, the sun's up late. It, I think my point was that little changes like that make all the difference because technically it's still on the book, but because one person and then other people grew up thinking that that's not an okay way to be, it has changed. We have such a long way to go, but I'm just so delighted that things are changing and that we have people like you and people in the equitable giving circle who are daydreaming and real dreaming and making things happen. That's how things get better. That's how things improve. That was a long way of saying that. <laughs> yeah, so I go on tangents and I do that all the time. So just, just cut me off. It's fine. <laughs> um, well, is there anything else that you would like to tell us about to share that you think people should know about? Any billboard pieces of wisdom that you would like to share PSAs <laughs> uh you know I I will be 48 in three weeks wow and I know don't I look fantastic you, do. you <laughs> really do I know it's great thank you <laughs> but I came here um a single person by myself a one-way train ticket to a place I had never been before I followed my dream so I think that, and if you, if I hadn't have followed this dream, I'd just be doing the same old thing in LA, which is fine. 
But I am so grateful and so happy that I actually followed my dream, um, literally, figuratively, in all the different ways to make my life what it is now. So thank you for having me on your show, um, talking about the very types of dreams. I just encourage people to think about their dreams, analyze their dreams, both awake as well as uh, when you're sleeping, and just take them all into account. Follow them when they are encouraging and learn from them when they are not, because that's still encouraging. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time today and your talent. And I encourage everybody to look up uh, the work that you're doing, both at the Equitable Giving Circle and also just your amazing chef skills, because they can get some incredible ideas for delicious bites to eat. Yeah, if anybody chooses to follow me, they can, um, go on to my Instagram, which is at Baby, D-E-O-S-H-I-A-B-A-B-Y. Or you can look me up on the Facebook, Deasha Hopkins, D-E-O-S-H-I-A-H-O-P-K-I-N-S. And uh, I'd love to connect and be friends. Absolutely. I will link all of that stuff in the show notes. And everybody, check out Dee Dee. She's the best. Aw, thank you, Britt. So are you. This is fun. I appreciate you. Yeah, likewise. We are supported by Human Dreaming, the dynamics of dream interpretation by Sunshine Press. The Human Dreaming book can be purchased on Amazon.com, the Barnes & Noble website, or through your local bookstore. For dream share or help with interpretation, please join us at the Human Dreaming Facebook group. You can also find us on Instagram at human underscore dreaming. Thank you for listening and subscribing, and please join us again next week.